0: will welcome everyone. Uh, this week, we're giving Pastor Daniel a break. So I'm going to be speaking to you guys. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I'm excited. Um, the worship was awesome. Thank you to Jaz and Vanessa for, for being the first to sing here in our new location. I'm I'm proud of you guys. <laughs> awesome. So um, before I get started, I wanted to read a quick um, verse from the Bible that um, just came to me and really stuck out to me when I was preparing for this message. So it's from Ephesians 4.32, and it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> we're going through this series on forgiveness. Forgiveness um, is sometimes easier said than done. Uh, when we're faced with obstacles in our life, it's, it's hard to respond with forgiveness. When we're feeling hurt and we're feeling anger towards the wrongdoing that we, we had in our life, and that's tough to deal with those emotions. But I pray that as we continue through this service that we would just continue to learn how valuable And how beneficial forgiveness is to our mental health, our physical health, and um, to our spiritual life, Lord. I pray that you just continue to be with us in this service and that um, I'm able to share some new things with everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I mentioned in my prayer, last week we kicked off our first sermon on forgiveness. We're in this new series on forgiveness. And um, when Daniel told me that he wanted to speak on forgiveness, I was like, I know I definitely have some unforgiveness in me. And then when he asked me to speak, I was like, no. (laughs) Because how am I gonna teach on forgiveness when I know that I have unforgiveness in myself too? So it was really difficult having to prepare this message, but also think about all the hurt that I've had in my life and learn how to forgive people in those moments. So, um, but even then, you know, God was molding me in those moments, and um, I'm happy to share with you guys about forgiveness and what I've learned, and um, Daniel asked me to share my perspective on forgiveness, and I kind of wanted to take a psychological perspective of forgiveness, um, if you don't know i have some ties to psychology it was one of, Oh, you guys may be seated sorry <laughs> um, it was one of my favorite subjects in high school um, it was like my favorite the teacher was the best and i ended up taking it twice my junior year and then my senior year so i really fell in love with um, learning about the human mind and behavior and i guess that's kind of just the introvert in me i like to people watch so um, it was really cool to see how the brain worked and all the different theories that came with psychology. Um, I even decided to get my bachelor's degree in psychology and um, I studied that and I had a lot of fun learning about myself and kind of um, analyzing myself and it, that was tough too sometimes but um, I just want to share a psychological perspective on forgiveness with you guys. So. Um, When I was preparing and Daniel asked me to share on forgiveness, I thought, you know what? It would be pretty cool to see what happens in the mind when we experience forgiveness and unforgiveness. So what takes place in those moments? And even to share just some mental health benefits and some physical benefits of forgiveness and even some negative effects that unforgiveness has on us. So as I previously mentioned, um, Pastor Daniel, my wonderful husband, gave some insight into what forgiveness is in our last service. And so before I start talking about psychology, I kind of wanted to reshare share some of those defi- definitions with you guys. So forgiveness is the remission of sins. So he started with this one, and this is a definition from a Christian perspective. Um, as Christians, we understand forgiveness as God canceling our debt, our sin, Um, and we repent and believe in him. So that's one definition of forgiveness. Another one is that forgiveness is the removal or annulment of some obstacle or barrier to reconciliation with someone else. Uh, Daniel also shared that unforgiveness is not deciding that the act that was done against you was not morally wrong. So when we're forgiving someone, we're not saying that what they did towards us was not wrong. We're recognizing that it was wrong and the effects that it had on us. Uh, Forgiveness also is not changing one's judgment of the offender despite the offense. Um, You can still think that the person acted wrongly. That's totally fine when you're forgiving someone to recognize that what they did was wrong. And then um, forgiveness is not just overcoming resentment. There's a lot of things that take place when you're forgiving someone. In addition, he shared that forgiveness has been a common practice for thousands of years. Um, We can find forgiveness taking place in both the Old and the New Testament. And if you'd like to be reminded of the passages that he used specifically, um, shameless plug, but go check us out on Spotify and you can re-listen to that um, sermon and he'll be able to share again with you all those scriptures that can be found. But let's go ahead and look at psychology now so in some realms of christianity psychology is stigmatized as wrong and contradictory to the bible which to a degree i can understand if you look at some of the teachings from some psychologists you'll kind of be like okay this is totally weird but you have to also understand some of the goals of psychology to see how it can be beneficial to us as christians in our faith and in our practices so simply defined psychology is the science of the mind and behavior so there are four major goals that psychology wants to accomplish when studying behavior and the mind so the first one is to describe being able to describe behavior and mental processes that take place in our brain um, can enable researchers to begin to develop general laws about human behavior So when we have a better understanding, we're able to identify um, behaviors that are considered considered normal and then abnormal. So that's what being able to describe behavior does. Second, psychology strives to explain behavior. So once psychologists have started to develop general laws, they they will want to begin to explain why certain behaviors take place. Um, And this is where a lot of the psychological theories begin to take form. So they notice a behavior, they want to describe the behavior, and then they say, okay, I wonder why that person does that. Let's make up some theories as to why they do those behaviors. Next is to predict. Psychology wants to predict future behavior, and they do this by conducting research. So once um, psychologists have and understanding about what happens, why it happens, they can begin to use that information to make predictions about when, why, and how behaviors might take place in the future. And lastly, and probably the most important of these four goals, is change. Uh, Once psychology has described, explained, and predicted behavior, making change and learning to control behavior can start to begin. So this is where. like clinical psychologists, you'll typically go to like a therapist and they'll help you understand certain behaviors that you do. And then they'll give you homework to help you change that behavior. So with psychology, I, be- I believe that God wants us to understand ourselves. That is to know that how he has made us. So if we have this understanding that psychology is a science of describing, explaining, predicting, and changing then we can see how God can use psychology in our lives. So now you might be wondering, okay, I've learned you know, a little bit about forgiveness and I've learned a little bit more about psychology, so how do they even relate to one another? And if you're thinking that, you're thinking like a psychologist. you know, Why, why do they even exist together? So the research on forgiveness is pretty new which made finding research for me a lot difficult. But fortunately, I did find some research that I can share with you guys. And actually, the research that I'm going to share with you guys was probably one of the first that was conducted to help um, the world understand what happens in the brain when someone responds with forgiveness and when they respond with unforgiveness. So uh, in this study, psychologists wanted to see, like I just said, when um, people are placed in different hurtful scenarios. Um, when they spawn, What happens in the brain when they respond with forgiveness and when they spawn, respond with unforgiveness? So psychologists gathered a group of 10 individuals, probably similar to us who are here today, and asked them to imagine themselves in several hurtful scenarios. So um, these scenarios included um, someone sharing their deepest secret, a boss firing them and telling them that they did a horrible job, and someone hurting someone that they loved. So the researchers asked half of the group to imagine themselves in these scenarios and then to move forward with forgiveness towards the wrongdoer. The other half was asked to imagine themselves in these same scenarios, but to move forward with unforgiveness towards the wrongdoer. And this is what they found. There were several parts in the brain that were active during forgiveness and unforgiveness. So here are the the terms of the part of the brain, and I'll explain what they do. So we have the inferior parietal lobe, the precuneus, the posterior cingulate cortex, the anterior cingular cortex, the medial temporal gyrus, and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. So all of these parts inside of our brain were active during forgiveness and unforgiveness. And just to give you a little bit more of an understanding, um, each of these parts of the brain play vital roles in information processing, memory recollection, decision making, and action selection. So let's find, I'm going to share with you guys um, what each of them do specifically. So the inferior Inferior parietal lobe, excuse me, helps us process information about the world and respond to it. So let's say you're walking down the street and someone starts walking towards you and they're talking. Your brain would say, oh, that person is looking at me. They're talking. They're probably talking to me, so I should probably respond to them. So that's what that part of the brain helps us do. The precuneus has many roles and i won't get into all of them but um, those roles range from memory to consciousness the posterior cingulate cortex is active during autobiographical memories so when we're remembering things about ourselves but it specifically has ties to emotions i mean sorry to memories with emotional quality. So it'll bring up those emotions that, I mean, those memories that have emotions like fear or sadness or anger or happiness, all of those memories and how we felt when we had those memories. The anterior cingulate cortex is responsible for deci- the decision, bleh, I'm getting tongue-tied, the decision-making ability to control uncomfortable, be- uncomfortable emotions like anger, sadness, and fear. The medial temporal gyrus is involved in systemic memory. So that is long-term memory that refers to facts, concepts, and ideas that we have accumulated over the course of our lives. So this is typically based on our experiences. And then the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, simply put, helps us with action selection. So during this study, these individuals and their responses towards these scenarios The psychologist utilized an fMRI and if you're not familiar with that that is a functional magnetic resonance imaging so um i don't know if you guys have seen an MRI before but basically what it is is the person lays down they're placed inside of this dome like um area and a lot of people say that they feel claustrophobic in there because they're just like this and they cannot move at all but what um typically neuroscientists or neurologists, um, psychologists utilize this for, is to be able to see um, the blood flow in the brain during specific um, actions that whoever is doing it, the scientist, the doctor, um, asks them about. So that's what that allows them to to do. And so these psychologists utilize that so they can detect the brain connections during forgiveness and unforgiveness. And um, I didn't get a chance to make you guys some notes, but um, if I can show it to you, let's see if it'll let me. It's okay, I'll show you guys later. (laughs) It's too hard. But basically, um, when they studied the group that followed these scenarios with forgiveness, they found that there were more connections taking place in the brain. So there were actually, Five connections in the brain that were taking place, um, whereas in unforgiveness, there were only two connections that were taking place in the brain. So these individuals that chose to forgive the wrongdoer, they actually took the time to process the information, to recall memories that were familiar and emotional to them. They were able to control and manage these feelings during the wrongdoing, imagine themselves in that wrongdoing and then they would respond with forgiveness. That's the action that they chose was to forgive. Whereas um, when the other five individuals responded with unforgiveness, they thought about the wrongdoing and they chose to retaliate instead. So um, within some of the questionnaires um, that were completed after the study, those who responded with unforgiveness actually said that they wished that um, the scenarios were real so that they could get revenge on that person, which is kind of crazy. Um they weren't even in these actual scenarios, and they still wanted to do something bad towards someone. I'm oh, sorry, I'm allergies are like kicking in right now. Um, and uh, when I show you guys the image later, you'll definitely be able to see the difference. There are in the picture, there are five places in forgiveness that are aiming towards um, the part of the brain that helps with action selection. And then with unforgiveness, there's only one part of the brain that's active, and that's the one that helps us remember some of the things that we've gone through and how we felt in those moments and how we were angry and how we were sad and how we were um, wanting to hurt those people. And then it responds to wanting to do those things. So um, that was like the main difference that they found Sorry, I'm getting super congested right now. <laughs> um, they also found that those who responded with forgiveness left feeling the study. Um, they felt more relieved and, and um, secure in the, t- the decision that they made because they actually had the time to process what happened, think about it, think about the feelings that they're feeling in that moment, and then choose to forgive. So according to Karen Schwartz, she is a director of mood disorders um, at the hospital, John, at John Hopkins Hospital, which is a pretty popular hospital and university. And she said that forgiveness is not just saying, I forgive you. It is an action process in which you make a conscious decision in your brain to decide to let go of negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. So, studies have been done by John Hopkins Hospital that have revealed that there are negative effects of holding on to feeling, negative feelings like anger and resentment. And some of those include changes in heart rate, blood pressure, immune response, and those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes. So, when we're holding on to these negative feelings, it one messes with our mental health. But it also affects our physical health. Um, as it said, like it messes with our heart rate, it messes with our blood pressure, our immune response. We're probably more likely to get sick when we're holding on to these negative feelings. Um, you get heart disease, you get diabetes. And that happens just by holding on to anger and unforgiveness. Whereas when you're forgiving, these actually lead to lower risks in heart attack. They approve, they improve cholesterol levels, and sleep. It also reduces pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety. (laughs) Love those dogs barking. (laughs) Um, Levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And as you release anger and resentment and hostility towards the wrongdoer, you actually start to feel empathy and compassion and even sometimes affection towards the person that did wrong towards you which is totally weird right this person that hurt you so much and caused a huge pain in your life and these can be friends parents um, a random bystander on the street who just says something to you um, when you move forward with forgiveness you start feeling a different way towards them so here are just some steps that i hope that you can take away with you after our time together and these are steps towards forgiveness so number one is to reflect on the events that occurred and this can sometimes be hard i know that when i was studying this and remembering some of the the hurt that i felt it was hard to sit there and remember everything that took place in that moment but that's what you have to do that's the first step you have to sit there with all those ugly emotions and all that anger that you felt and that sadness that you felt in that moment and how that affected you since that wrongdoing. And this could have happened years ago. I know that um, there was one specific incident that I always suppress. And then when it comes to my mind, I'm like, oh, I hate thinking about how I felt in that moment. But when you're striving towards forgiveness, that's what you have to do. You have to sit there in those ugly emotions. Number two, and this one might be hard, is to empathize with the person that did you wrong. Um, It's often said that we never know what a person is going through until we're actually in their shoes. And when we're striving to move towards forgiveness, we have to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. We kind of have to think about what they were going through in that moment when they did you wrong that may have caused them to even do that. And this can go back you know, years thinking about, okay, maybe this happened to them, or maybe this happened to them, and that's probably why that they did this, and that's not giving them an excuse. You know, you recognize what they did is wrong, but you also recognize that life happens, and hurtful things probably happen to them as well. Number three is to find meaning in the suffering. So the Apostle Paul speaks about suffering in Romans 5, 3, and he says, we rejoice and you heard that right, rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And although it may be hard to find meaning in our suffering, it's important to see that dealing with hard, hardships strengthens our faith and it strengthens us as people. Number four, you forgive deeply. Do more than just forgive because you have to, because I'm telling you today, you know, it's good to forgive because there are beneficial, um, physical and mental benefits to doing it. And, And even, you know, don't forgive because I'm a Christian, I have to forgive, that's what I have to do. No, you have to think about it deeply. You have to remember that forgiveness is a process and it's gonna take time. But you also have to remember that no one is perfect and we all make mistakes. We live in a fallen world where sin is happening around every corner. And then number five is to decide to forgive. Once you make that choice, you have to seal it with an action. You can choose to talk to the person about it and explain to them the process that it took And that can be hard because you have to be vulnerable in front of that person and you have to let them know that they did something hurtful towards you. And that can sometimes be scary. But if you don't feel like that you can talk to this person, I encourage you to write about your forgiveness towards them in a journal and uh, maybe even talk about it with someone that you trust. So as Pastor Daniel mentioned last week, We forgive because Jesus forgave us. He first forgave us. We were enemies of God, doing what was wrong in his eyes. However, through Jesus, we have been forgiven, and God has reconciled his relationship with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we had together, learning about what happens in our brain when we forgive, And when we don't forgive, uh, we recognize that when we move towards forgiveness, we're utilizing parts of the brain that you have created us to use. But when we move forward with unforgiveness, we're not utilizing the brain that you have created for us to its fullest capacity. I pray that just as we continue to move forward with our lives and deal with some unforgiveness that we have within ourselves, that we would be reminded of the benefits that take place with forgiveness, those mental health benefits, those physical benefits, but that we would also remember that when we were doing wrong towards you, Lord, that you chose to forgive us. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to forgive us, Lord, but you did, out of your love, out of your grace, out of your mercy, you forgave us. And I pray that, just as we move forward, that we would just Remember your love, that we would remember forgiveness and just take away some of the things that we learned today. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.